Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at... Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today live with Rich Torello. Say hi to everybody, Rich. Hello. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Rich. Rich, thanks for joining us here on the show. Before we get started, let me tell our listeners about a couple of upcoming events and shows that we have for Cincinnati Business Talk. On the 17th of July, we have John Ballard, who's written a new book on organizational behavior. On July 24th, we have Mark Horowitz talking about the truth in investing. And we have a very special show scheduled on the 10th of July with my very first client in Cincinnati from 24 years ago, a fellow named Eric Deal, who runs a property and casualty agency here in town. Let's see. Coming up next week on June 25th, we have the Business Leaders Workshop at the Ivy Hills Country Club. Not only will it be a great launch, it'll be a great program for business leaders and uh, managers of business sales organizations. We're going to talk about the problems in sales leadership and some of the Sandler solutions for them on June 24th and uh, July 22nd are the next two sessions of the Sandler two-day boot camp. Uh, You can contact Brittany at uh, 513- 753-9400, extension 106, to uh, make a reservation. Let's see. Uh, my favorite program coming up, The Seven Deadly Sins of Sales. That's an executive breakfast briefing going to be he- held here in Eastgate at the uh, San Le Training Center on July 2nd from 8 to 10 a.m. Uh, and you'll discover what to do about uh, sales going down long sales cycles, poor closing ratios, not getting in front of enough high quality prospects, and how to stop hiring wimpy salespeople. Doesn't that sound like fun, Rich? (laughs) Sounds like a good goal. 
yes, okay. So let me tell everyone about about you, Rich. Uh, Rich has got over 30 years of technology sales and sales training experience. Uh, Rich Chiarello was previously executive vice president of worldwide sales at CA. Uh, didn't that mean computer aut- automation at one time, Rich? Actually, it was computer associates way back then. Computer associates, okay. He was with Cybold Systems and CEO, or COO, Chief Operating Officer at Web Methods Software and, and has extensive experience with expanding domestic companies and global business teams. Rich also has had sales management roles at IBM and Colnet Software during his career. Uh, Rich has successfully led the turnaround of many companies and the commercialization of products and services across North America, Japan, Europe, and Australia. He has outstanding expertise in developing unique sales and marketing strategies for both new and mature product portfolios and has led the revitalization of numerous sales organizations. During his sales leadership at CA, the company set records that still stand as being the only New York Stock Exchange company listed to lead the exchange in market cap growth for four years in a row. That's a, an amazing uh, statistic, Rich. There were, ye- there were years there where we um, had stock splits uh, sometimes three times in the same year. Great. And what led you to, to join the Sandler organization four or five years ago? Well, actually, we're going on eight, and um, I, I brought Sandler in uh, with a gentleman by the name of Guru Ganesh, who is still um, working with technology companies out there like Salesforce.com. I brought him in in the 90s uh, because I had a, a problem that many people still exist today. I, I had a federal division selling complex integration solutions, um, but they had uh, challenges with taking what they were hearing and creating conversations to create new leads for the sales organization. Um, mm-hmm. And so what we what we thought we would do is, is make an investment in, in a firm like Sandler and in Guru Ganesh to come in. Um, and it, it paid off so dramatically that, you know, I remembered it for years later. And when I wanted to build my own consulting practice, uh, Sandler was the first one I thought of. Oh, OK. That's good. You were one of the lucky ones to uh, hire Guru. Uh, he's still active in our organization. So as, as a Sandler trainer, you've written a new book called Selling Technology, the Sandler way, subtitled Finding Technical Solutions that Win Long-Term Business Relationships. How long have you been actually working on the book? The book was in the works for two years and uh, probably took a little bit longer than we would have liked, but the real, the real issue was taking all of the, the great stories and scenarios and proof points and dwelling it down to a, a meaningful but small enough book that you know, wouldn't scare people off. But uh, all in, it was a two-year project. All in a two-year project, and the book is less than 150 pages with relatively big print so salespeople could read it. <laughs> right. The challenge I, is I, writing a small book that, that's effective, not a long book. Maybe Gone with the Wind would have been quicker. I don't know. So in, in creating the book, what was the, the end goal in mind? What my, you know, That's a great question. What I was really trying to accomplish with the book was to give people who are unfamiliar with Sandler, and for the other Sandler franchisees who didn't have as much experience, perhaps, as I did in the technology space, I wanted to give them a condensed explanation as to what the issues are that technology sales companies face and why the Sandler approach is such a perfect match. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And does the approach in here go beyond just people selling technology? Well, a, a lot of it, a lot of it could be applied to, to many different industries. Mm -hmm. um, for example, um, two of the biggest proof points apply to any, any industry. Um, when I get in front of clients and we, we talk about whether they need sales training or not, I ask them in their heart of hearts to answer the following two questions. There's salespeople in the room. Just answer me the following two questions and just let me know if you need help. First question is, how many of the people in your pipeline where you're forecasting deals to close need to buy from you as much as you need to sell to them? Mm. And usually I get, I get a lot of heads looking down at the table and not making eye contact. Mm -hmm. And then the second question I ask them is with all the deals in your pipeline, including the ones you're forecasting to management to close, if you stopped calling them tomorrow, how many would ever pick up the phone and call you? And, and the, reason why those are, yeah, the reason why those are two such important questions, Mike, is because, because in the technology sales, these people are trained so much on information that the overall, if you had to make a generalization problem that we run into, is they start selling too soon, educating the customer on the technology too soon, before they ever have ever uncovered, does this company need what I'm selling? Does this person need what I'm selling? Um, and why would I start telling them about my product if I don't know the answer to those two questions? Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Rich has uh, graciously agreed to take callers from the audience. So if we have anyone out there listening today, call-in number is as usual, 646-595-4916. And we'll be able to screen callers during the commercial breaks. Let me uh, ask you a question about the book, Rich. I've had a chance to uh, to go through it. In your book, you, you say that uh, salespeople and sales teams who overachieve in the years to come will be the technology midwives, the translators who know that educating customers is not where the sales process begins in high tech or anywhere else. Why don't you explain for our listeners what you actually meant by that? Okay, sure. Well, you know, if you go back probably 15 years ago, the vast amount, um, a majority in corporate America of expenditure in IT, that budget was held in the, in the hands of IT managers, sometimes called chief information officers, um, data processing managers, etc. And so most technology companies hired technical people with a technical sales pitch to go sell to technical people. It's kind of like Apple was in the 80s and 90s when um, only, um, shall I use the term, geeks and techies who could really understand what you could do with Apple versus an IBM, and, and they appeal to a very, very much you know, niche audience. Then mm -hmm. starting about 15 years ago, the purchasing power moved out of IT and into the lines of business, into business executives like VPs of sales, CFOs, uh, VP of manufacturing, HR managers, retail sales managers. So those people don't have the same IT background. They have business problems that need to be solved. And the same way that Apple magnificently, you know, Steve Jobs reinvented his company by no longer focusing on what the Apple products technically can do, but by making the product so easy to use and focused on the business benefits and made the products like the iPad and the, and, the, and the iPhone take off. Well, that's what most technology companies are struggling with today. How do we move the conversation away from starting out on a technical platform and hire people who can do the translation, thus the midwife term, of sit through the technical training, understand what the pro types of problems the product can solve, 
and then change all of that terminology into words that a line of business person like a head of sales could understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What does it take to be a, a great salesperson in tech space? Well, you know, in, in, as, in most, as in most things, um, there are some things that are, are not unique to the tech space, right? So you have to be fearless. You have to believe you have in yourself and your, your product. Mm -hmm. And you uh, can't be afraid of, of failing, and um, and customers need to be able to sense in you someone they can trust, etc. But then um, when you go beyond that in the technical space itself, you have to be that rare type of hybrid person who can understand technology enough to translate it from technical terms into a business conversation with somebody who is more interested in understanding what you can do for, for them versus how versus you can do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to uh, take a commercial break here. Rich has agreed to uh, answer callers' questions. The number is 646-595-4916. And we're going to listen to a uh, couple of Sandler commercials. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's this most is experienced is Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at Roth Consulting. This is Mike Roth with Sandler Training, finding power and reinforcement. Are you tired of prospects saying, I want to think it over? Are you tired of being an unpaid consultant? Call me at 513-646-6523 on the web at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I want to tell you about our next Business Leaders Workshop coming up on June 25th at the Ivy Hills Country Club. This is a workshop designed for people who have to lead in sales management. You get a lot of pressure put, put on you as a sales manager, team leader, to continuously exceed your sales goals, maintain or increase margins, 
and hit your strategic objectives. As owners, leaders, you wear lots of different hats. Leader, coach, mentor, trainer, and holding people accountable to keep them engaged is not easy. Finding and keeping the best salespeople can seem like a daunting task. Don't worry, you're not alone, nor should you be. The Business Leaders Workshop Series is designed for leaders who dramatically want to increase their team's sales. In the program, you're going to learn a new sales leadership process, skills, and behaviors. You're going to obtain one-on-one coaching with a Sandler sales leadership expert. The group is going to get to share unique challenges and obtain support. You're going to interact with other sales and business development leaders. You're going to develop your own strengths and relationships among your peers. You're going to learn from your peers, and you're going to learn from sales leadership experts. And most importantly, we're going to have fun once a month, and we're going to have a great lunch. Again, May 21st, Ivy Hills Country Club, 1130 to 2 p.m. The cost is $89. The investment is $89. For more details or to register, contact Brittany Robinson at 513-753-9400, extension 102, or you can contact her by email to make your reservation at Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, dot Robinson, R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N, at RothConsulting.net. If you have specific questions about the program, feel free to contact me, Mike Roth, at 513 513- Six four six six five two three. Good selling. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Rich Chirillo. Uh Rich, I guess it's the second chapter of your book. You talk about a a simple math formula for sales, and I'll kind of uh, read it uh, in English. So uh, most of our because most of our listeners aren't re- reading a copy of your book. Uh, dollar sign, I guess, revenue equals Q. PR, uh, revenue represented by your qualified prospects times your close percentage. Uh, uh, that's an unusual formula. Uh, how did you come up with that one? Well, I will tell you that math was never a major and being a sales guy, I have a tendency to approach things very simply. You know, when we start a training session with somebody for the first time with Sandler, um, the first question I ask them is what would you do with 50% more commissions. And I asked them to write that down on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And then I asked them, what would you do with 100%, you know, twice the amount of commissions? And, you know, they kind of look at me after they figure out what it is. They look at me and say, okay, you know, what kind of magic pixie dust that you have that's all of a sudden going to make this happen? And so the simple math of sales is where I, on a whiteboard, I, I, I walk them through um, the following very simple formula. Let's say that your, your current uh, close rate today is, you know, out of every, every hundred people you qualify, you end up actually taking money from 10 of them. Doesn't mean you'll take all hundred through the whole same sales cycle, but you, you've determined that it's worth at least one more phone call or one more meeting, et cetera. And so when you do that, you'll get down to, you know, 30 really qualified prospects. And if you can close a third of those, that's pretty much industry standards in the high tech space. So in essence, from the time you say someone's qualified worth even another breath from you on the phone, you're closing basically 10% of that very large number at the top of your funnel. Mm-hmm. So we go through the exercise to say, to make twice as much, you're going to have to uh, become twice as good a salesperson 
from the qualified sales process on. And, and that may be possible, but that's, that's a lot harder to do than just getting better at qualifying. Because the simple math of sales says, if I did nothing more, didn't teach you one more sales technique, made you no better a salesperson, but just using the Sandler approach made you twice as good as qualifying, you'd end up out of that same 100, closing 20 with the same set of skills. Now, if I make you a 20, 30% better salesperson, maybe 50% better salesperson, that 20 goes up to 30. And that's when salespeople's eyes open up to understanding why it's worth changing and learning you know, new behaviors and new techniques because they can see that the biggest problem they have right now is they engage too soon with people that aren't qualified. And especially in the technology space, that's the, uh, that's the, the biggest pain that they have. Engaging with people who aren't qualified. Right. And some of these companies have six to nine month sales cycles. So, and you can only handle so many of those. And, and so you get to the end of nine months and you say, gee, you know, we never should have sold to these guys. They went with somebody else because what we did really didn't solve a big problem for them. They really didn't need us that bad. I just figured they were a big company. And maybe if I sold to them long enough, I could find the right reason for them to spend the money with me. Mm-hmm. Which leads um, to the... Ne- uh- you should never have started the sales cycle. You should have realized that ahead of time to say, on using the Sandler approach, as you know, you just tell the prospect, look, I can't really see a good enough reason if I were you to go spend big money with me. It sounds like what you need is not what we really do well. And the questions I'm asking myself is, you know, um, why would you spend that kind of money? Why would you really engage with me as a peer? Um, you know, maybe we're not a fit. And that's the negative reverse. And let them talk you into, no, we are, and here's more information. But if the answer is no, you're probably right. You want to find that out on the first date. Oh, you want to find that out in a long sales cycle. You definitely want to find that by the second. You don't want to invest a lot of money and, and time and right, right. on a yeah. project that's not going to go anyplace. Um, uh, again, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about in, in the technology space, how to use product knowledge. Uh, a lot of people in technology space believe that uh, product knowledge sells. Uh, and so many times I know I've heard people who are hiring authorities say, I've got to have someone who understands our business and our industry. Uh, what do you think about that, Rich? Well, those are two separate things. Um, I can understand our products, your products, and I can understand your industry, but still use the Sandler approach to do the midwife conversion to know what type of questions I should ask. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the companies I worked at was uh, Siebel, it was a CRM company, and was bought by Oracle. Now, the product was very, very complex. Eventually, you ended up having belly-to-belly sales calls with the IT staff to make sure they understood how the technology would work and fit inside, you know, their infrastructure. But in the beginning, the conversation was to the gentleman or lady who had the budget, the head of sales, to basically say, look. Um, let me tell you the main reasons why people spend 10, 20, 30 million dollars on a CRM with Siebel. The people who spend that kind of money do it because they're struggling with not being able to make forecasts, you know, frustrated over not being able to get a complete view of their customers around the globe. Or, or maybe they're just, you know, challenged um, by salespeople picking up and leaving and not having um, any of the interaction left behind for the next person to pick up and capitalize on. I, mean, I don't know any of those things you deal with. What I did there was take all the technical features and knowledge of the industry and convert it into a line of business conversation that's very familiar 
to most people who have been trained in Sandler into our 30-second commercials so I can get a sales executive talking about their business needs and desired outcomes versus technology. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. Uh, in your book, you say that the great salespeople in technology have to be great diagnosticians as opposed to features and benefit guys. Uh, so product knowledge really is not the uh, uh, most important thing. Uh, well, it's what you do. If you don't have product knowledge, you don't know the right questions to ask, right? You won't be able to lead the dialogue. Um, but taking the product knowledge and converting it into a business conversation is the real challenge. Okay. And uh, let's talk a little bit about prospecting it for technology uh, product. Uh, how do you think... Uh, most organizations should go uh, in prospecting for a business-to-business technology product or service. Well, there, there are several there are several best practices out there. For the very very large companies, they typically have a um, a tiered sales force, right? So they'll have their largest accounts handled by their national accounts, uh, business-to-business teams. Then they'll have the Fortune 2000 in North America be handled by another group of, of door-to-door people. Then They'll pick some arbitrary number based on their business. You know, transactions underneath 10K or 20K are done by telesales. And, and so what they'll typically do for prospecting is spend money on marketing, advertising, seminars, Google ads, et cetera, which generates a whole bunch of leads that, that come into lead generation of business to talk to these people and qualify them and send qualified leads based upon the size of the opportunity to either the telesales rep or a field rep. That, that's how the large companies do it. Smaller companies where you don't have that scale and you have you know, maybe 10 or 12 people in the whole company. The other real frustration is that um, the more senior sales reps would rather poke themselves in the eye with a sharp stick than get on the phone and start prospecting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so teaching them that behavior that they feel they shouldn't have to do anymore and get comfortable with it is, is what we do best. Now, um, fortunately for them today, there's tools like LinkedIn where you can get a whole bunch of warm calls and every call doesn't have to be a cold call. You, you, we teach people, and I like Sandler just came out with a book on uh, LinkedIn the Sandler way. So we teach them techniques of how to harvest their network of customers and, and peers, et cetera, to get warm introductions to people so it won't completely replace you know, cold calling and prospecting, but it will supplement it with a whole bunch of, of warm calls and well, that's pretty much what in the technology space people are doing. That's state of the art for prospecting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, the new Sandler LinkedIn book is uh, available. Uh, you can get it on my website at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net, uh, or you can just just go to. Uh, <laughs> I said that wrong. Uh, Roth Consulting. Dot Sandler.com. If you go to, go to that website and you see the, the link to the free LinkedIn download of the book as a PDF, uh, that's perfectly free to you. Uh, and it, it's a great book. Uh, the, uh, let's talk before we go to the next commercial break, Rich, about uh, value proposition. How does a value proposition fit uh, for a technology salesperson with the uh, Sandler selling system. Okay. Well, part, part of how you 
can um, can abstract extract big money from people is by solving a big problem. So, for example, um, who needs snow tires in the winter more? Someone in Ohio or someone in Florida? To someone in Florida, I might give you two dollars extra for the snow tires. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll need it. I'll move north. But you're really not solving a problem that I have. Maybe January or February of last year in Ohio, you probably would have paid, you know, if you if you needed snow tires and didn't have them, you probably would have paid a premium. hundred dollars extra. It's, yeah. So the whole goal is um, in many of these IT organizations, their marketing departments, the, the mistake they make is that everyone is a prospect. They're, they refuse to say that uh, to narrow down at all who a real target is. So you're a salesperson and you're told everyone in America is an equal prospect. Don't walk away from anyone. If you're a salesperson and you're told that and you're not given any other instruction that your value proposition applies to everyone, then you're going to waste a lot of time until you can figure it out yourself. So what we do is really hone in in the beginning before the training to really understand what is the value proposition by product that they're going to be selling so that we can target this person to go after the person who really, really needs what you're selling so that when you engage with them, if all of a sudden you don't call him for a week, he or she's going to pick up the phone and call you and say, Mike, where'd you go? Um, I want to make sure you were okay. I haven't heard from you in a while. We're, you know, we're still going to do this, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that's when you, you really know the, who to go after because you really understand of all the problems you can solve, who has the problems that you solve the best, better than anybody else. That leads to a higher margin on the sale and, and less discounting, et cetera. Good. Uh Let's take a uh, another short commercial break here and let's listen to a, uh, a Sandler rule. Again, uh, Rich has agreed to uh, take questions. The call-in number is 51, I'm sorry, the call-in number is 646-595-4916. And let's listen to uh, Sandler rule number 15. Hi, I'm Rich Isaac from Sandler Training, and I'm here to talk about rule number 15. The best presentation you ever give is the one the prospect will never see. Now let's start by talking about the fact that that rule should not be taken literally. Of course, there's an appropriate time to talk about your products, your services, your solutions, your prices. What happens is that most salespeople simply talk about it too soon. The prospective client will say things to them like, show me what you have, tell me what you can do and the salesperson, eager to show their credibility and to show their product knowledge, will go into presentation mode. And there's two problems with that. Number one, it's too early to make a presentation because the salesperson isn't knowledgeable enough about the particular situation the prospective client is facing. And second of all, it comes off like a sales pitch. And if there's one thing that prospective clients can't stand, is someone making a pitch at them trying to convince them. Is there a better way, a better way to show your knowledge and build credibility with the prospective client? Actually, there are two ways. First is you can learn to ask better questions, more insightful questions. And second, you can learn to tell stories, meaningful stories that the prospective client will be able to relate to. Let me give you an example. Let's assume that I sell software to help companies run their warehouses more effectively. I might say, Sam, as the Vice President of Operations, I'm wondering if you ever run into these issues. A lot of people tell me that they have a real balancing act between reducing their inventory expense and still being able to handle just-in-time delivery. It's really challenging for them. 
Others tell me that they have a difficult time getting their staffs to follow the procedures in their warehouse as exactly and effectively as they could. Now before I go on, I'm wondering if you can relate to either of those two things. Now what did I just accomplish? Through simply telling a story and asking a simple question, I was able to show my credibility, show my knowledge, show my understanding of their business. In essence, I presented information in such a way that they got those things without me coming off like a salesperson making a pitch. Remember, if you want to really be the most credible professional salesperson, learn to tell better stories and ask better questions. Remember, if you get good at both of those things, the best presentation you ever give is the one the prospect will never see. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Rich Trillo. Rich, in your book, you, you put something that, uh, or a version of something I love to teach our clients, the pain tech, the pain chart, features, benefits, pain indicator, and the questions that I should ask. Uh, do you find that, that most salespeople on technology uh, don't create such a chart? Um, most of the, I, I haven't come across any prospects, even in the large companies, that, that do that. Um, instead, they're, they're kind of geared, if you will. Uh, it's almost like a reflex action. They're geared to, um, if they get on the phone with somebody and they say, oh, you're with XYZ Company, I've heard great things about you. Hey, you know, we've been struggling with whatever it is. How would you guys solve it? Boy, they hear those words, they go right into, let me tell you what we do, let me tell you how we solve it. None and of the... the you know, no backing up and basically saying, wait a second, before I start telling you what we do, let me understand exactly what the problem is and what may be causing it and how long it's been going on. And, you know, I don't, I don't know enough to start selling. So the pain chart kind of take, lets you take your best features from your value proposition and reverse engineer it so that you can know what questions to ask a business person that doesn't sound like you're a techie. Because the minute you start talking to a business person about, MIPS or speeds or Java or acronyms, they'll point you towards the IT guy and never take a call from you again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and how should tech salespeople on a first telephone call coming inbound to them from a, a possible prospect uh, handle the, the question, uh, well, look at round numbers, what's, what's, what's your product or service going to cost me? Right. Well, you know, it's, I, I, I train them to say, look, right now I have no idea. Could be a dollar, could be a million. I, I don't know enough about what you want to do and, and what you need and how much it's going to cost. Um, can I make a suggestion? Let me ask you a few questions and understand exactly what it is you need, and then at the end I'll be able to give you a ballpark of what the, what the price would be. Would that, would that be a good use of our time? Because no one who's really interested in buying a product will call a vendor and say, I'm in a hurry. I can't tell you what I need. Just give me a price. The only people who do that are people trying to get a lower price from one vendor to negotiate their existing vendor's renewal down lower, and they have no plans of buying from the second person. They're just using them for free consulting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, in general, the book says, the book dictates, you never talk price until you understand pain and value. Rather walk away from the call. It's illogical that if you haven't discussed the pain that they have and therefore what they need to solve it, and understand the value. Talking about price before you talk about value is a waste of time. Mm -hmm. uh, 
In your book, you say that no new customers are going to drive up to your desk. Uh, you have to find them. Uh, in talking about prospecting in the technology space, uh, how much prospecting, active uh, prospecting, uh, should a uh, technology sales professional engage in? Well, you know, it depends on their territory. In some of these larger companies, allowed to prospect. Um, and, and as one gentleman told me, he said, you know, I'm not allowed to prospect. I have, um, I have one account for my company. And so why would I prospect? Now, this company was a Fortune 50 company. I said, okay, so you think because you're talking to one person in a Fortune 50 company, that, you, that means you don't need to find anybody else in the company who might buy your services. Um, and I told him that there's probably 20 people, 50 people in his company who could buy Sandler training. And I guaranteed him there were 20 to 50 people who could buy his product. So in his case, prospecting meant going within his existing one account that he was signed and finding other people who had business problems that he could solve. How much time you, you, you prospect usually ha gets down to how big is the pipeline? Because what happens is you prospect, you build a big pipeline, and then to close it, it kind of consumes you. Now, you never want to stop prospecting because you, you and I both know as business owners, right, that if we mm -hmm. don't find a way to force ourselves to prospect, and all of a sudden we, we finish delivering our training and there's a lull in the action, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say at a minimum, um, a, a good behavioral activity is that you're spending 15 to 20% of your time per week. Could be after hours, like LinkedIn that allows me to do that. Um, but I still have a very active practice. I reserve half a day a week for prospecting. Okay. Um, in, in your book, you talk about a, a psychological technique called pattern interrupt. Why don't you give uh, our listeners a, uh, a short synopsis of what, what you meant by pattern interrupt? Okay, well, that gets into part of the no purchase sales call. So anyone who listens to this uh, broadcast who's been called by uh, cold callers, whether at home or at business. No, the typical cold call sounds something like this. If I were calling you, say, hey, Mike, this is Rich from Cincinnati ABC. Hey, um, is, this, is this Mike Roth? Hey, you know, listen, you know, uh, we're going to be the neighborhood this week, and, you know, we, we just want to let you know that we have a seminar, we have a this, we have a that. They try to talk as fast as they can. Immediately, the message is, this is a cold call. I'll try to get rid of you once nicely, and if not, hang up on you. So what a pattern interrupt does is basically um, stops the person in their tracks for like five or ten seconds, so that you can get the next line out to try to get them to engage. So a pattern interrupt that we teach on our cold calling camps would make sound something like this. Hey, Mike, this, this is Rich Sherrell. Listen, I'm not even sure if you and I should be speaking. Um, can, I, can I just tell you why I'm calling and you can point me in the right direction? And it's been proven that that, you know, buys me the next, you know, 30 seconds, which enables me to do then, say, a 30-second commercial. I'm looking for the person, you know, at Roth Associates who is concerned about this and worried about that. I had a note that said that was you, but look, it might not be you. If you were me, who, should you, be, who would you be talking to? And, and so the pattern interrupt is a way of sounding different, of getting the person not to give you that reflex response of, oop, cold call, tell them I'm fine, I don't need them, I'm too busy, and go away. Mm -hmm. And that's what the pattern interrupt is designed to defeat. Because it's kind of like the whack of the head to get them to change directions in their brain. Yeah, it's just a, a slight shock, not a deadly one. Yeah, a, a slight hit, a slight hit. Uh, uh, without going through everything in the book on, on, on cold calls, uh, at the end of the cold call, that a, uh, or a warm call in case it's coming through LinkedIn, uh, 
What should the takeaway be for the technology salesperson? Well, the, the process that we take them through, in, in order to end up with someone who needs to buy from you as much as you need to sell to them, in mm-hmm. order to end up with somebody who will treat you as a peer versus dictate terms under which you may sell to them, right? If you want, if you want to have people that will treat you as a peer, etc., then you have to take them through the, get to that personal pain funnel. And then the book says, once the person has admitted that this is something I have to solve, it's important to me, it's going to cost me money, promotion, my job, angst. Once they'll admit that, it's almost like waterboarding, pardon the, the, the analogy. But if you get someone to admit personal pain, they'll tell you anything. So once they admit that, that's when you get invited in with the mutual action plan. You basically say, well, look, I understand how important this is to you, and I'm still not 100% sure I can solve your problem. Can I make a suggestion? How about you and I take just a couple of minutes, and let's map out everything that you would need to do from your side, and I would need to do from my side for you to make a decision. I'm not asking you to guarantee you're going to buy from me. I just want to work out a project plan for you to make a decision with me. And that's the mutual action plan that's in the book. Good, Rich. We're going to take a uh, short commercial break, and then we're going to... uh Come back with a question from one of our callers. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits, and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 15 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Rich Chirello. Uh I think we have a uh, caller on the line. Uh, is this Susan? Uh, yes. Susan, why don't you ask Rich your question? Uh, my question is, the name of the book is Selling Technology. How much do you think this um, anti-feature and benefit selling relates? To most retail. To retail? Yeah. Yeah. Tell Rich uh, about the type of business you're in. Um, I work. I'm actually in the mattress business. I sell mattresses. Okay. Um, well, let me give you an example of that. So, um, if you were to go and look at why one mattress thinks they're better than the other, let's take something we can all um, identify with. Um, these sleep adjustment, right? So one side of the bed can be firm for the husband and the other side can be different for the wife. Right? All of the technology that makes that up is really important and probably costs companies a lot of money to build and make. However, when someone walks into your showroom and says, I need a mattress, you know, my 30-second commercial for someone in the mattress sale would sound something like this. would say, well, you know, when people walk in asking me, uh, that they want to replace the mattress, and they say they're not getting a good night's sleep. You know, typically what I ask them is, you know, if they're married, you know, are they struggling with getting a mattress, one mattress type firmness that, that fits both people? 
Um, because if the answer to that is yes, what you've just done with your feature charting all the way across the question you asked is identify someone whose biggest problem is that they need a mattress that can have multiple uh, firmnesses associated with it. If that person said, no, I'm a single person, so I just got to find a mattress that fits good for me, they probably won't spend the money for a dual adjust feature capability. So they've just qualified themselves out of that product. And then you'd ask them another question, you know, to try to find out again, uh, before you start telling them about the features of any one mattress, for you to understand of all the mattresses you could sell them, which one gives them the most value. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Okay. Good. Thanks, Rich. And, uh, and thank you, caller. In, in your book, you talk about uh, diagnostics or treatment. I think it'd be a good thing to tell uh, your listeners about uh, what what happened when your wife was looking for a doctor uh, when you when you guys moved to New York. Yeah, that's it is a, that is a great real life story. So, you know, we, we have doctors that we don't like, and we say they have a bad bedside manner, right? That means mm-hmm. they 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 don't feel warm. They talk in technical terms, scare most of us to death using all their technical jargon, right? And so uh, when I moved up here and I asked for a good doctor, the CEO, uh, Charles Wong, a computer associate, said, I'm going to send you a guy, and here's why he's great. He said, because, you know, there's a thousand doctors out there that if you knew exactly what was wrong with you, would be able to tell you how to fix it. As a matter of fact, you can go on WebMD nowadays and pretty much, or YouTube, and pretty much see how to do your own operations and everything else. So the real challenge isn't finding somebody who can tell you, uh, once you know what's wrong with you, how to fix it. The real problem is finding someone who never gets the diagnosis wrong because the last thing you want is to be treated for a disease that you don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the doctor that I found. And I think many times what happens in the tech space, perhaps other industries, when a salesperson starts selling too soon, that's sort of sales malpractice. You might be, um, you might be uh, applying a remedy to something that isn't the real root cause. It's a symptom. Um, mm-hmm. But if you hold back and you ask questions and you go through that whole similar pain funnel and understand, you know, what's causing these issues. Um, then when you're ready to actually talk about, well, here's how we're going to solve your problem, you're far less likely to be suggesting, you know, a solution that isn't really going to fix the person's problem and give you the great results. Yeah, that, that whole discussion just reminds me of one of our earliest guests on the show, a fellow named Peter Wenzel, who invented a technology for, uh, permanently affixing barcodes to biopsy slides because doctors have terrible handwritings. And the last thing that you wanted to have happen is the lab confused the name on the slide and you're diagnosed with cancer when you're, you're, you don't have it. Or B, you get diagnosed without cancer when you do have it. And he's built several terribly successful companies uh, by uh, building it on this patented technology to clearly identify the biopsy sample and the slides to the, the patient where they came from. Uh, critical, uh, critical thing. Uh, in a misdiagnosis, uh, people die or they get treatments they don't need, uh, which is terrible. Um, let's see. Uh, which do you want to cure, the symptom or the problem? Right. So again, medical medical analogy. There's lots of things that give you a temperature. Mm-hmm. Some they want you to treat with aspirin, some they don't. 
Um, the real question is, why do you have a temperature? Do you have an infection? Do you, you know, what is, do you have a flu? And so you always want to find the problem to cure the problem and not worry about the, uh, you know, the symptoms. If you, if you cure the problem, the right, the problem, the symptoms go away. Right. But you have to be dealing with someone who can actually diagnose the, the symptoms. It's, it's funny because when I talk to prospects, Rich, and I was talking to one today, she had real trouble with wanting her sales team diagnosed. She thought she could do it. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was so funny. She says to me, Mike, a couple of years ago, I sent them to Dale Carnegie and, and it really didn't work. <laughs> and I, I said, you know, you, you don't want to do that again, do you? Right. And it's going to, and then she proceeded to tell me that her people were different and they, they, they might need one-on-one -on -one work. Uh, and the classroom wouldn't be a, a good place for them to learn because they're in an artistic business. Yet they're losing 80% of the bids that they put out. Let's talk for a couple of minutes, Rich, about the DISC model, which was created by uh, William Marston, a noted psychologist in the, the late 1920s. Uh, why is it important to understand uh, DISC, uh, dominant influencer, steady relator, or compliant, with rules uh, for a salesperson? Well, it's important for two reasons. Number one, by helping the salesperson understand what type they are enables them to protect themselves from themselves. What do I mean by that? Well, it's not uncommon that you'll hire somebody to be in sales in the enterprise sales space who is an I, right, who is very um, gregarious, not afraid to cold call, knock on doors, etc and is very much results-oriented, so you D. So you have someone who's an I and a D. Um, they need to understand that you know, just because they like to net things out um, and, um, and then go out and socialize, that if you're in the tech space and you're one of the stakeholders is a technologist, um, and that technologist has been studying security or back in recovery for years, um, is, not the, is, a, is a high C, right, content-oriented, then unless, mm -hmm. as a salesperson, I adjust my style to adapt to my buyers, I'm going to alienate that person right from the get-go. And he's going to view me as a common terminology of an empty suit. You know, um, guy wanted me to make a decision on one call. I had one meeting with the guy. And instead of talking about a process to make a decision, he said, what if I offer you a discount? Could you, could you buy next week? Because that's the way a D thinks, right? Let's, let's the shortest distance between two points. Right, right. Um, so it enables you to protect yourself um, from hurting yourself in the deals by knowing what you are, but then also changing your style, especially in these tech sales where you have four or five stakeholders. You're going to have some combinations of D, I, S's, and C's. And so when you get them all in a room, how, how are you going to present? If you, you have four people in a room with four different styles, what style do you use? Mm -hmm. and, when, and the book takes you through how you have to, um, how you have to treat that so that you're neither netting it out too much where you lose the techies who are C's, nor asking the executive who might be a D and an I to sit through a three-hour presentation that's going to make him wish that he uh, had never met you. Yeah, I fully understand that. Uh, Rich, uh, let's, uh, let's jump to the, the topic of how should a technology salesperson, business to business, handle objections from the prospect? Okay. Okay. You know, I have to take it to committee. Uh, we've got to uh, 
timetable that says we don't have to move forward until uh, next fiscal year. What should a technology salesperson who's using the Sandler system do or say to handle these common objections they hear? Well, I think the key well, there is common, right? So there's only so many objections out there, right? Um, price, maybe we really don't need it. Now's not so important. Um, so the first thing you have to realize, if you're not getting objections, that's worse than getting objections. No, nobody buys without raising objections. So mm -hmm. if you've gone through your presentation, you've given a price, you've talked about, here's what the rollout's going to look like, and there's no objections, no questions, then uh, you, you laid a big fat turkey because there should be, there should be objections and questions. Um, and part of the art of handling objections is to always agree with how the person feels. So if someone says to you, you know, we've been working with your competitor for years and what you're saying, you know, sounds really good. Um, but, you know, we, we've been comfortable with these other guys who've worked with them for years. Telling someone they shouldn't feel that way doesn't work with my wife and it doesn't work with prospects. Mm -hmm. Rather than say, listen, if I was you, I'd feel the same way. I mean, you've worked for years. You have a business relationship with this other company. You really just met me. And, and all of a sudden, I come along with something that's intriguing and interesting. And you're probably thinking, um, is it really worth the trouble for me to go switch vendors and, and explore something you know, with Rich? That immediately takes the emotion of the objection out and has the person nodding his head like, yeah, you get me. You get me. Mm -hmm. So if, you, if, you're if you're familiar with the parent-adult-child model, what I just did was the, um, you know, the, nurturing, the nurturing parent, which then mm -hmm. in, a, in objection handling is followed by logic. So after I agree with how they feel, the logic statement is, but if you don't explore this with me, you'll never know what could have been. I, I agree with you how they feel, not that the objection is correct, but I, I agree with how they feel. Let, let's say it's price. You, you, you're trying to qualify them and you tell them it's a million dollars. A million dollars? Uh, where are we going to get a million dollars from? A million dollars? You must be crazy. Hey, I agree. You just meet me in first meeting. You ask me for a number and I tell you a million dollars. If I was you, I'd, I'd throw me out. Um, but here's the thing. Now comes the, the logic part the, uh, the, um, of, of the parent-adult-child. Every customer who we talked to felt the same way you did. I can't tell you sitting here right now that you should spend a million dollars with us. After all, it's just our first meeting. But here's the thing, Mr. Prospect. You can't tell me that you shouldn't. Wouldn't it make sense for us to at least figure out whether the benefits that we brought to all the other customers who initially felt like you but then went ahead and bought from us and are happy customers, would it make sense for us to at least explore it far enough to see if the benefits we brought them would apply to you? Okay, that's really fair. Uh, in your book, you uh, you say that in handling objections, the salesperson should defuse the prospect's emotions and put them back in a receptive mood. Perhaps you could expand on that a second. Right. So the diffusing the uh, the emotion is the agreeing with how they feel. Mm -hmm. it, nothing is worse than telling someone in so many words or less that they shouldn't feel the way they feel. That only makes them more angry, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's all about whether it's uh, price, whether it's, you know, we, I don't have time, I'm so busy, uh, we're already using somebody else. Uh, whatever the objection is, say, look, if I was you, I'd feel the same way. Um, you know, and, and here we show up and, and I represent work and effort and you've got your day job that you got to do. And probably the last thing you thought when you got up this morning was that you were going to start, you know, a sales process with another vendor about replacing, you know, a key supplier. I get it. If I were you, I'd be upset too. But 
again, now that I've diffused it, here's the thing. Every one of our customers who were using the same company that you're using today, who then converted to us, everyone who converted felt the same way. So mm-hmm. unless we explore this a little bit more, you'll, you and I will never know whether you should move or shouldn't. Well, that makes a lot That's of sense. That's what I mean right? by the diffuser. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you got to make them uh, feel good about moving forward. Uh, let's see. In, in, in thinking about your book, Rich, uh, have we not covered here something today that really you wanted to get across to the technology sales teams in America? Some key point. That- I think we covered, we covered, we did a good job of covering all the key points. What I would say is that um, the most important thing, if you had to sum it all up, is understanding who makes a perfect prospect for you and not being willing to settle with somebody who, you know, if the product was free, would take it or, you know, in the end, they could use your product. But how to get good at finding the people who absolutely need whatever the difference makers are in your product or solution. And then how to create a project plan, a mutual action plan, where you engage with people who realize that every sales process has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and that uh, while you're not guaranteeing, asking them to guarantee they're going to buy from you, that you shouldn't be engaging with someone that can't outline the steps they need to go through to make a decision, because that usually turns out to be a waste of time. Sure, that's right out of the Sandler selling system. If if you right. don't understand what the prospect's decision making process is, even if you have pain, even if you found the budget, uh, with the decision making step failed, you're not going to go ahead and write a proposal or do a fulfillment step uh, because it's not a prospect. They failed to qualify. Correct. Good, uh, Rich. I uh, I want to thank you for being on the show here with us today. Uh, and, uh, if anyone has any questions, Rich, and they want to contact you directly, why don't you give them your email? Sure. So it would be rich, R I C H dot in my last name, which is C H I A R E L L O at Sandler.com. Good. And the book is available through Amazon. It is available through Amazon, through your website as well under publications. Good. Thanks again for being with us today, Rich. And Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.